America today is under attack. What is happening in Portland and Seattle and Chicago and Minneapolis, much of that is in the rioting and the looting and the tearing down. It is, it is a cancel culture that's trying to take away the country and how it was established. How many of you understand that our church at the same time is under attack? Have you followed with me? Have you seen, I read this morning about where early this morning, uh, even Brother Vernon and Rebecca someplace in Virginia in that area there where a pastor was teaching in a Bible study and had church much like this and somebody came in and, and began to attack the pastor and others with a knife. How many churches have been set on fire recently? And don't be alarmed when that comes and we see that here in our city and in our state. The church of Jesus Christ is under attack. The church has never been favored by civil government, never been favored necessarily by cultures. How many of you also understand that the home is under attack? Each of these institutions are under attack. I thought about this as we begin to look at what is happening in our nation. And, and the last couple Sunday morning's messages, we tried to address some of that. And I, I just thought about this. This is a great time. This is a wonderful time. And the thing that we ought to do most as a child of God is to practice holy living. That's what our country needs to see, that the child of God, that something is different. The greatest thing we can do once saved is to answer this question. I'm going to throw out the question, and I want you to answer it in your heart. What is the purpose of my life? What is the purpose of my life? In this passage, the Lord seems to help us to answer that question as this woman breaks an alabaster box or brings this ointment and, and anoints the Lord. He said, she hath performed a good work on me. I wonder if the Lord watched your life and mine this week and he saw where we spent the majority of our time and the most of our monies, if he would say to us, you're doing a good work. Or is it or could it be true that we're living life for what we want to accomplish out of life and the Lord would not say it's a good work? I want you to take your Bible, if you would please. Some of these are going to be up on the screen. Philippians chapter number 3, uh, near to the back of the New Testament. I'm going to make a statement. Please don't get mad at the pastor. I imagine... Some here probably already are because of the mask issue, and I don't want that to be true. But don't get mad at pastor, but I'm going to make a very bold statement, but I believe it's a true statement. I believe we can base it on the Word of God. It's not about you. You get it? Life's not about you. It's not about me. And especially our young people today think of it, life's all about us. And no, it's not. And you're never going to be pleased living life if it's all about you. What can somebody do to, for me? How can somebody please me? And if you haven't pleased me, I'll write you off. Let me help you with this this morning. Be very careful. Be very careful how quickly and easily you would cut off a relationship. Be careful. It's not about you. It's not about me. Your pleasure, my pleasure. Your ease and my ease. Your comfort and my comfort. 
Life is about serving Christ once we get saved. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. The apostle Paul, kind of his heart, he just bleeds out here with what he's living life about. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. I ask you this, those of you who know scripture, was Paul a learned man? Extremely learned. Was he, before he accepted Christ as Savior, was he in the upper echelon of the religious groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Oh, absolutely. But he said, I count it but loss. Now watch verse 8. Yea, doubtless on all things, and I count all things, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I, might, that I may win Christ. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Watch what Paul says. He's going to sum it all up. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the, of the dead, not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count my, not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Help me with this if you're saved on your way to heaven. How many of you, since you've been saved, you've messed up? My hand goes up. You've sinned. You've faltered. you failed. You've messed up. If you've confessed and forsaken it, the admonition of the Apostle Paul here should be something that we do. I forget those things which are behind. Now look at the last verse here in verse number 14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now back to Matthew 26. Somebody said it this way. I want you to repeat it with me. I hope that we'll leave with it today. There's only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God and pleasing self. Would you say it with me? Only two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. And which choice will you make? I want to show you here in, in Mark chapter 14, we find out that I believe this same, this in the synopsis of the Gospels, I believe that the same statement that we see here is being spoken of in Mark's gospel. Chapter 14 will not turn there. He, Mark adds some things to the text that Matthew does not give us. But think with me, if you would, please. Let me, let me help you to understand what took place at that time. Christ is headed to the cross. In just a couple of days, the feast of the Passover is going to begin Christ is our Passover. Is that what Corinthians says? He is our Passover. His blood was shed for us on Calvary's cross. So he's going to shed his blood during the Passover time. But he comes to it with his disciples. And he's in a home that's very precious to him. It's the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And Simon is here. Uh, some In some texts, they call him Simon the leper. Uh, others call him a, a, a diff, by a different title. But as he's seated there, a woman brings an alabaster box full of precious ointment. Now, let me tell you about that, about that ointment and about that box. When a young lady in Jesus' time 
reached a certain age as she anticipated marriage, her family would begin very, very, very expensive oils and perfumes during that time. So they would begin, it wasn't a dowry, but they would begin to accumulate these precious, uh, we know this, it was a mixture of myrrh and spikenard here, and very costly. So they would begin to put in an alabaster box because that box would maintain uh, that, that, uh, those precious ointments. And they would add to it and add to it and add to it and add to it. When a young man proposed to her, if her answer was yes, then what she would do, she would take that, that box of very precious ointment, she would show him what she had, what her family, the wealth her family had accumulated, and she would take some of that and anoint the feet of the man she was about to marry. In this case, the woman did not anoint the Lord's feet. We'll look at that in a moment. Where did she put that ointment? She put it on his head. And Mark tells us that she broke that alabaster box. I tend to believe this, and me a theologians, I'm not a theologian, but many Bible expositors believe what she was saying is, I'm not going to get another alabaster box. I'm not going to begin to, I'm not going to ask my family to restore and replenish what I gave to the Lord. I'm going to break that box. I probably will never marry. She was giving the Lord everything she had. Who deserves, I ask you this this morning, who deserves the benefit of your life? And I, I'm, not, I'm not faulting, uh, and we, all, we have to be gainfully employed to, uh, to make a living or provide, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's something quite honorable about that. But does Ford Motor Company deserve our life? Does General Motors or does Prudential or do any of these businesses that we might go? Nothing wrong with working for these businesses, but you think about the benefit of your life. There's three common answers. Most today would say on that wide path that leads to destruction, I do. Life is about me, and I'm going to live life. I want to please myself, and if you don't please me, and, and if you don't have the same understanding that I do, get out of my way because life is all about me. You'll never meet a happy person that makes life all about them. You never will. Satan says, I want you to give me your life and how many it does you look in the street corners in Pueblo and now across the nation as I travel and you'll see that the drug culture and environment has, has and, and this is Satan, and the Bible said, getting his claws in, in our people. That word drug or sorcerer in the book of Revelation in the New Testament uh, ha- talks about pharmacia. Now, nothing wrong with pharmacies and that type of thing, but it's talking about the illicit drug trade that will be active in cultures all across the nation before Christ returns. Does Satan have his hooks in our culture today? So Satan says to our young people, serve me, and many do. But here stands our Savior, and he says this, and I would like to suggest to you this morning that there's only one good answer to this, and that is this, that God alone deserves the benefit of my life. 
God alone. Look in your Bible at Colossians chapter 1. We were in the book of Philippians. Uh, if you go forward, just one book, Colossians chapter number 1. And think about this in verse number 15 through 18. It says this, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, Invis uh, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or all things that are created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Now, I want to show you this. Look into the screen if you would. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things, say it with me if you would, He might have the preeminence. Here we wrap it all up and we say this, once we get saved, we're saved for a purpose and a reason. And that purpose and the reason is to serve our life and give our life to serve the Lord. That doesn't mean we're all going to be in full-time service. doesn't mean we're all going to be teachers and preachers and missionaries and evangelists. But I go to work and I accumulate wealth so that I can honor God in, in, with that wealth. And I treat my family in a way that is pleasing to Him. And So look back at that, if you would, please. What motivated Mary? Why did she do that? If she broke that alabaster box, that's how we ended last Sunday's message, Mark 14 tells us that, in fact, she did. She could have been saying to us, I'm not going to marry, and I'm not going to take a little bit of this ointment and uh, anoint the feet of my Savior. I'm going to pour it out. There's nothing left. And that's the way and the only way that we bring pleasure in the Christian life is we say, Lord, you are worthy of it all. I'm going to pour it out all of it on your life. And he alone is worthy. What was Mary thinking? I thought about this. Our, serve, our service shows what we think of Christ. And our sacrifice shows how we desire to repay him. Go with me in your mind real quickly. This isn't in the lesson so much this morning. But at the time of Christ's birth, when the wise men came, they brought three gifts. What were those gifts? Gold. And what else? Frankincense and Gold in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, always speaks of deity. Was Jesus and is Jesus God? Yes, yes Jesus is God. And so regardless when the cults knock on your door, they don't believe that Jesus is God. All right? The Bible says deity, gold is a type. And these wise men were saying that little babe in Bethlehem's manger is God. And then frankincense. Now, if you went to the tabernacle first and then to the temple, there was incense burning in the tabernacle in the temple 24-7. That incense burned. And that incense, the primary basis of that incense was frankincense. There is only one person that is worthy of your worship and my worship. And who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Don't worship a man. Don't worship a priest. Don't worship a minister. Don't worship a church or a denomination. Frankincense speaks of the, the uh, worship that we are to give him. And then myrrh. Myrrh was primarily anointment and a spice that was used to anoint a body for burial. Did Jesus come to die? He came to die. 
And so when those, when those wise men bring those three gifts, they're telling us, we understand who this little baby is. Now let's look at that ointment that Mary broke the alabaster box and poured it on the head of our Savior. Why did she do that? I want to uh, give you a couple of things. Number one, she was motivated by a powerful sense of gratitude. Are you thankful today for what Jesus Christ has done for you? He left heaven. He came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He died a vicarious death on Calvary's cross so that you and I might have a way to heaven. Are you grateful for that? Mary was, and she understood what the Lord was doing. And as a young woman, her family began to accumulate these special spices and and these special uh, ointments and that she one day might give it to the man that she would marry. And yet today, at that time, she pours it out on the Savior herself. She anointed his head and not his feet. She was not committing to marriage to Jesus, but was placing him in the highest place of honor. We read in in Colossians that he is the head of the church, is he not? He's the head. The head means the position of authority, and Mary was acknowledging that. One of the greatest sins, I believe, in America today is ingratitude. And when we look at those riots and the young people, they're tearing down statues, have no idea the sacrifice those men went through to build this nation. But we are ungrateful and we are taught to grow up ungrateful. We don't care. We don't like it. We don't line up with it. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said this, when gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. Somebody invested in your life. Somebody gave so that you could be where you're at. Somebody burnt a midnight oil, a precious mom or a daddy, a brother or a sister, an aunt or an uncle, some church member gave their life for you so that you could be the person you are today. And gratitude would look and say, I want to thank you for that. I want to acknowledge you for that. Who gave his life so that we might have a home in heaven? Christ himself. She was motivated, we look at, by a powerful sense of gratitude. Most preaching today in America, go home, turn on the television, listen. Most preaching today is about happiness and how you can be happy. Most preaching is about comfort and how you can be comfortable. I'm not against those things. Most preaching is about success and how you can be success. And I think about this. All of these are needed, but we need to challenge ourselves. And sometimes as we gather here to get to, to, together like we do today, may we refocus our attention when our nation is going through a trying time and say there is one person that deserves my gratitude and deserves my respect. And deserves my admiration and service. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you this story when I was growing up. I'm going to date myself. Don't, don't laugh, Brother Allen. I listened to Paul. Anybody in here? How many of you used to listen to Paul Harvey? Really? Andrew, for real. Your dad. There you go. My dad played it, all right? Anyway, but watch this. You remember, some of you even heard this. We've done this for years. We've had Thanksgiving baskets and Christmas baskets to take the needy. We mobilize the church and say, bring some canned goods. If you can bring a turkey, bring a turkey. This lady 
called in to the Butterball Hotline. How many of you ever, ladies, remember the Butterball Hotline? And she asked this question. She said, if a turkey has been in the freezer for 26 years, is it still good? Now imagine if you're the lady on the other side of that phone call. How do you answer that? Here's what the Butterball lady said. Well, it won't kill you. Has it remained frozen for 26 years? Oh, yeah, never been out of the freezer. Well, it won't kill you, but it's going to be leathery. It won't have a lot of taste. It's not much good. I would recommend that you dispose of it and go get yourself a fresh turkey. And here's what she said. That's what I thought you'd say. I'm going to give that one to the church for the Thanksgiving baskets, and I'll go get me another one. Huh? Now, some of you say, preach all, that's terrible, that's horrible. But that ingratitude many times is ingrained in us. Mary was grateful for all that Christ did. I looked at this, I was surprised by this. In 2019, for foreign missions, all the denominations in the world, they came up with a corporation called uh, the evangelist came up with this and said Americans gave $72 billion to foreign missions. I'm sorry, $42 billion for foreign missions. All the churches combined. How much do you think we spend on pets? $72 billion. We gave 42 to missions. We put 72 in pets. And I love pets, especially dogs. Oh, here I'm going to divide the church again. Dogs and cats, people. All right? I'm not a cat hater. All right? I love pets. I do. But is a pet worth more than a lost soul? We look at where we spend our money and understand where our priorities lie. She was motivated by a powerful sense of gratitude. She was motivated by a powerful sense, <coughs> excuse me, a sacrifice. Acts 5, if you'll turn there with me, please. Acts chapter number 5. She didn't sprinkle it on Jesus. She didn't spread a little bit on Jesus. She broke the alabaster box and she poured the entire contents of that box on Christ. I had this understanding. I was thinking about this message that was coming together. When we look at what Christ has done for us, can we really call anything we do for Him sacrifice? Can we? We compare what we've done for Christ. Now, listen, I remember this when I was Brother Nathan, your age, or Wyatt, your age, or some of these young men, age Tayson and Patrick and Alex, some of you young men. I wanted to grow up and build houses. That's what I want. I got a right to my life, right? But then I kept hearing this call of God. I went to my pastor and said, Preacher, I don't know what to do. But every time you talk about serving God, there's something overwhelming in me. And he said, Brother Gordon, God is calling you to ministry. Here's how you understand what that might look like. And let me encourage you to say yes to the Lord. You walk away and you put aside your desires and you head off to Bible college and you try to prepare what, for what God wants you to do. But how can I call that sacrifice? 
When I examine what our Savior did, every stripe that was on his back was for you and for me. Read Isaiah 53. Every spittle, bit of spittle in his face, every time his beard was plucked, every time he was spat upon that spear in his side was for you and was for me. How can we call anything that we do for Jesus Christ's sacrifice when we think about what he's done for us? She was motivated, Acts chapter number 5, and look at verse number 40 and 42. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. All they're asking us to do is wear masks. Sometimes we act like we've been beaten. Sometimes we act like we're being chastised they beat the disciples here and then what did they do watch what happens here look at verse number 41 and they departed from the presence of the council what's the next word in your bible rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer shame for his name and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus. That's what got them beaten. That's what got them into prison. And they said, Lord, you're worthy. I understand your sacrifice. Lord, we're going to give it all. And every one of these men will pay by giving his own life. Peter's going to be hung upside down. The disciples are going to be marred. John is going to be boiled alive in oil. You name it one by one by one by one. They've came to a place like Peter, like Paul did, and said, I found something greater to live for. It's not me. It's not the devil. It's not for all the toys of this world. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I've, I've given my life to him, and now I'm going to give my very life in service and sacrifice to him. Somebody said it this way. I was convicted by this. The church of Jesus Christ will either die for the lack of sacrifice or thrive because of it. Our brothers and sisters in Christ in Muslim countries are dying. 500 Christians on average a day are being put to death because of their faith in Christ. Our Christian brothers and sisters in communist countries, and make no mistake about it, don't separate socialism and Marxism and communism. They're all the same. They do not believe in God. Don't separate them. Our Christians, brothers and sisters in red China are, are serving and worshiping underground. The church of Jesus Christ will either die for lack of sacrifice or thrive because of it. No pastor, no church, no denomination is worthy of your sacrifice, but Jesus hid. May I encourage you this morning, don't add Jesus to your agenda in life. Make Jesus the agenda. Make him the agenda. Don't just add him to the agenda. So what was it? She had a great sense of gratitude, great sense of sacrifice. Number three, she was motivated by a powerful sense of urgency. Look back at Matthew 26, verse number 11. Jesus said, for ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. Judas, who carried the bag, was the treasure, was not saved was dismayed by how much money, almost a year's worth of wages, is what she poured out. 
Judas was upset about it. Why couldn't we take that money and give it to the poor? Look what Christ says. Look at verse number 11. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. Christ is about one week away from his time on the cross. If Mary had waited a week, she'd have been too late. And in this room this morning, I believe that some of you are waiting to be saved. And you know how to be saved. You know you ought to be saved. But you're waiting for the right moment. And I would tell you this morning, the right moment is now. And some of you who have been saved are waiting for that right moment to sell out to God. That moment is now because you don't know what future is going to bring. What are you waiting on until you start serving Jesus? What do you need for Jesus to do to ring your bell and help you understand I'm calling you, I'm moving you to a greater purpose? Some need to be saved. Today, the Bible says, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Some need to get right with someone else. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to play God. I don't know what's going on in your heart or your home. I heard my pastor talk about this when I was a boy, and it scared me. A young girl wanted to go to the prom. A young man had asked her out. She was in a Christian home. They didn't believe in dancing. She went to her mom, said, Mom, I want to go to the prom. Can you get me a dress? And she said, no, you're not going to the prom. Fine, I'll ask Dad. Usually it works the other way. That's the way it should work, because huh? dads are mushy. Dads always give in. That's how it was when our... I learned this, Brother Collins, years later. These girls knew how to pit Mom and Dad against each other. Mom just told them no, so they said... They didn't say to Mom, but they said, Dad, can we? I said, sure, no problem, go for it. And Kathy comes out later on. Why did you tell them they could do that? Oh, did they come to you? Honorary rascals. <laughs> right? So this girl goes to her dad and said, Dad, can I go to the prom? He said, no. Not a place for a Christian young lady. She went back to her mom. She said, Mom, I've got a dress. I've been invited out, and I'm going to the prom. And her mom said, sweetheart, you're not going. She got dressed up. She walked out of that house. Her prom date picked her up. And the last thing she looked at her mom, she said, I hate you. Little did she know while she was on that dance floor that the police came. Said, young lady, you need to come with us. And they took that young girl to a hospital, to the lifeless body of her mom. My pastor had this funeral, and he said, I watched as that young lady reached down. Did you see Brother Zane? Did you see Brother Zane kissing his wife for the last time as her body was in that casket? Did you see that? Did you see that love? Amen. This little girl reached down to the cold, lifeless body of her mom and said, Mom, I didn't mean it. Mom, come back. I didn't mean it. It's too late. Hold on, to your, hold on to your jealousy. Hold on to the hard things that separate you. But I'm going to tell you this. There's a time to get right. And there's a time to serve the Lord. And that time is now. Whatever it might be, someone needs to get right with someone. Someone needs to determine to share the gospel with someone. I cannot share with you my whole story. But my mom and dad were divorced when I was young. We had allowed no contact with my mom. She sent a birthday package 
In that birthday package was a laminated copy of section of the Pueblo Chieftain. She said, son, give this to your dad. I remember going upstairs. It's my birthday. Got what I want from mom. It's a good day. Went upstairs, gave that to dad. Probably five times in my life I've seen my dad cry. He wept and he shook. Called all of us together. He said, kids, I want to tell you something. Here was my high school friend. Again and again and again, God told me to witness to him. Again and again, God pricked my heart. He, now think about this. He saved me from drowning. My dad said I wouldn't be alive today. This young man saved my life. I was drowning and he saved my life. But dad never told him about the Lord. What that was was the obituary for that young man. Till the day my dad died, he carried it in his Bible to remind him now's the time. If God has touched your heart to tell somebody about the Savior, now's the time. Lastly, she was motivated by a sense of powerful unworthiness. It was as if Mary was saying to Jesus, I'm not worthy of this ointment, but you are. Isn't that good? Lord, you're worthy. You're worthy of my bank account. I heard this, and I'm not going to use this on you, all right, yet. We're saving up for a multi-purpose building. We need one. Amen. We can spread out. Pastor's doing that one time. He said, folks came and he said, I got good news. He said, we found enough money to build our building. And the whole church rejoiced. Oh, that's awesome. That's, where is it, Pastor? It's in your wallet. <laughs> it's in your bank account. Now, I would never do that. Huh? But he's worthy. The matter of giving to God, the matter of your life. It was as if Mary was saying, I'm not worthy, but you are. Does this make sense? I'll close for today. Brother Collins, Brother Patrick, some of you men, Brother Stephen, some of you men that serve the Lord and have served the Lord, Brother Wally and others. It should surprise every one of us that the Lord would even use any of us. Right. Am I right? Every day I pinch myself. I say, Lord, why in the world did you call me? It should surprise every one of us that the Lord would use any of us. And yet he does. What are you living life for? Tell me on what you spend your time, your talent, and your treasures, and I'll tell you what's most important. Only Jesus can bring satisfaction. How many of you have ever been to Chicago? I don't know what other cities. I imagine New York City has these. I remember going off to Bible college and seeing something I'd never seen in all my life, Brother Brad. Massive drawbridges. Lake Michigan came up into Chicago there. They would raise these bridges built back in the turn of the century, some even as early as 1820 and 1830. So the ships to come by, that bridge oftentimes would have to be raised. But those bridges a lot of times had a locomotive that went across those bridges. In 1837, there was a young man that worked in Missouri. His name was John Griffin. 
He was the operator of one of those big bridges, draw bridges. And one day, his son always asked him if he could go to work with him. So, eight-year-old boy, John Griffin takes his son to work with him. They're up on that big deck, just dad and, and son having lunch together. The bridge was up. And then as they ate lunch, some time passed, and John heard something that scared him. He heard the whistle of the train coming. And he looked at his watch. It was 107. Sure enough, the Memphis Express was coming with 425 people aboard. I've got to get that bridge down. That train's going to come across this bridge to safety or it will perish. But John saw something. He looked down and his eight-year-old son had fallen off the platform of that bridge and his left leg was caught in the massive gears that lower and raise that bridge. And Daddy realizes, I can't save my son. There's no time. And again, the noise of that, that Memphis Express toots, and he realizes this. He tells under his own testimony, he was a Christian man, he hid his, his head in his hands, and he pulled that lever, and he full well understood what it meant that his son would just be mangled in those massive gears. And he said he watched this as that train come past Past him, he could see the faces of the people on the train, and here were businessmen reading the paper. Here were kids eating ice cream, and he said this. He said, do you not know I just gave my son so that you could be carried from one side to the other safely? I'm going to say this to you, Jesus, Church of Jesus Christ. Do you know that God gave his own son, and there are train loads and bus loads, and there are plane loads and car loads of people that are going to hell That's right. and here's what we're doing like the people in that train we're just enjoying life there's a greater purpose what is the purpose of the Christian life it's all about him he alone deserves your life he alone is worthy will you give it to him stand please father Help us this morning to understand the call that you place upon our lives. I believe this with all of my heart that some need to come today and be saved. And I pray they would do that. Others need to rearrange the priorities of their life. Some need to make it right with a, somebody they're at odds with. Somebody needs to go to somebody that's hurting and be the arms of Christ and the hands of Christ to speak a kind and a comforting word. Others need to give their life in service to you. Father, I pray, just call us to your purposes this morning. Help us to get our eyes off of why we're living life and put them on you. Would you work in this time of invitation? Speak to all of our hearts. We would ask in Christ's name, amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Brother Stephen is up here. I understand the whole social distancing thing. We're mindful of that. But if you're here this morning and you need to make a decision for Christ, whatever that might be, 
if you don't know that you're saved and you'd like to know that if you're a lady if you'll step out where you're at and come to the altar we'll have a lady take a bible and show you wouldn't it be wonderful to leave this auditorium knowing for sure that if you died today tomorrow next week you'll be in heaven you can know that if you're a man if you'll step out today we'll have a man take a bible and show you for the child of god what about your life the bible tells us it's a vapor that appeareth for a while and then vanisheth away Remember when you were 20? Remember when you were 10? Remember when you were just a little baby? You remember back? Boy, hasn't time flown. Today's the day that we need to serve Christ. Today's the day we need to honor Him. Some are coming this morning. Some are praying. What about you? We're not going to hold the invitation long. It's not easy, child of God. I understand that. I remember the battle in my own life. When the call of God came upon my life and how I wrestled with that, I believe that there are those here today that are wrestling with what God wants you to do. Let me encourage you to give in. One more verse of invitation song will close this service for today. attention please don't think for a minute that pastor doesn't battle same thing you battle the young man I remember getting involved in construction we had been to Bible college for one semester and company we work with work for went on strike came back home to build up the funds to go back to Bible college got involved with construction that's what I always wanted to do for two and a half years. Now think about this. I'm, I'm telling you my testimony. I never missed church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Never missed soul winning. Drove a bus. At that time, my brother and I had the largest junior church in the state of Colorado. If you went to the pastor and said, is Brother Gordon busy? Oh, man, we can count on him. Yet each and every day I knew where I was supposed to be. I remember a message like this on a Sunday evening when the Lord got a hold of my heart and I came down to an altar and I said, Lord, you can have it. I'm going to Bible college. I remember going to my boss the next day who I've been praying to God, ask God, please help me to, to, to lead Paul to the Lord. Lord, help me and may my testimony shine. And, and God, I want to lead Paul to the Lord. Here for two plus years, I was outside the will of God and I was trying to witness to somebody I cared about deeply. I remember going to the altar that night and just saying, Lord, I'm going. I went to Paul next day and said, listen, boss, got to hand in my notice. I'm going to Bible college. He said, what do you want? I don't want anything. I told him my testimony. I told him very frankly, I said, Paul, I'm concerned that one day you'll be in heaven. We'll be in heaven together. And for two plus years, I've asked the Lord to give me the opportunity to witness to you. And here, I know where I'm supposed to be, and I'm not there. You know, some of you have been there. When I got off up my knees that Sunday night, 
there was like there was a weight just lifted. It was gone. I was poor as a church mouse. I didn't have any money to go to Bible college on. Chicago scared me. If you've ever been to Chicago, Chicago scared me. And as happy as a lark in the park. Why? Because that's what God told me to do. You'll not be, I promise you this, because some of you young people are deciding life's about me and it's not. If you sell out to God, I promise you this. If pastor's still alive 20 years from now, you come back to me and you say, Preacher, in that message, you convinced us to sell out to God, and I did, and I'm sorry for it. I have never heard that. Brother Stephen, ever heard that? Some of you have been involved in ministry. You don't hear that. What you do is hear is this. I should have sold out to Christ, and I did. There's no sacrifice we can make. Let me encourage you back tonight at 6 o'clock hour. If you're visiting with us, ushers, please, if you would. Brother Wyatt, good to see you here today. Z, good to see you back. Did you not know that the Chick-fil-A people sit over here on this side of the auditorium? No. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. Brother Andrew, pretty soon Andrew and Sydney are going to take over this church. I think pretty sure. Uh, such a blessing to see these folks. All right. Let's be back tonight in the 6 o'clock hour. Remember the Hutto family, if you would, in your prayers. Uh, we'll let you know when we know a little bit more about Miss Hutto.